Our third session is titled, Walking Alongside the Depressed with Wisdom, Compassion, and Care. And again, this will be a shorter one. We're getting shorter and shorter. So hang with me if you're doing good. Unless you're tired, you fall asleep, no worries. I understand. Um, All right, Walking Alongside with Wisdom, Compassion, and Care. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Encourage the Faint-Hearted. How do we encourage the faint-hearted? With wisdom, compassion, and care. How do we walk alongside those who are in the darkness of depression? We don't want to be like those who bring a tiny plaster. I think I got that right. We say band-aid. You say plaster, right? Nailed it. A tiny plaster to a friend with a gaping wound. We want to be able to tend to the wound in a way that provides realistic help and hope that is needed. But it is also important to say this, we cannot lift that burden of depression off the shoulders of another, but we can come alongside them and point them to the one who promises to uphold them, to sustain them, to be their light in the darkness. So where do we begin? We begin with moving towards them. We move towards. Depression isolates. Depression can cause people to pull away from relationships. The friend that used to stay connected doesn't reach out at all anymore. The man who used to sit in front of you at church, you've noticed just isn't there anymore. Don't wait for him to come to you. Move towards him. And as we move towards others, Oh, we are following the footsteps of Jesus here. Jesus moved toward the women at the well in John 4, a woman that others wouldn't move toward. He moved toward the woman with an untreatable medical condition that caused her to bleed and made her unclean. He moved toward and touched lepers that others would never touch. Someone who is depressed most likely will not move toward Jesus. So we move towards them. We call, we send a message. We ask, we ask if she'd like to go on a walk. And if she says no, we patiently persist. We move towards. The second is to move towards in humility. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness bearing with one another in love. We come alongside the friends struggling in depression as a fellow struggler. We all struggle. We all have bodies that are weak. We all sin. Sometimes we trust in faith to trust and turn from our sin, and other times we don't. A deeply discouraged friend is a friend to love, not a problem to fix. We come alongside, acknowledging that we both need God to reveal more of Himself to us. We both need the light of the hope of the gospel to shine into the dark places in our hearts. There's not a problem to fix, but a sister to love. The third is physical care first, meals first, helping clean her apartment first, watching her kids first so that she can take a nap of the errand done. Identify ways you and others in the church 
person cares for him. And then fourth, listen long. Let's be those who listen long to one another. We listen long in order to know someone, to really get to know them. And as we listen and ask questions that bring out their story, we are listening for what is going on in their heart. Not quick to speak, but listening for her desires, what's important to her, the loss she is experiencing, the way she's interpreting her situation, the lies of depression that she is believing. There will be a time to speak, but just make sure you have listened along. She won't hear you if she doesn't think that you have heard her. The pastor said this, and it has stuck with me, listen until you are moved by their story. Listening long is a loving way. Fifth, be comfortable with silence, especially in the deeper, darker moments of grief. It's good at times just to sit in silence. Most often, our words aren't going to be remembered in that moment when we are with them in their grief. The noise of the sorrow is just so loud in their minds that they will remember our presence, that we were there. Let's be okay with the awkward silence and sit with them in their pain. Don't push them to even talk. Words don't always need to be spoken. There is a time to speak and there is a time to be silent. The sixth is words for the wind. When words are spoken from the darkness, when the storm is raging in someone's life, there may be words spoken that are simply words for the wind. Job 6.27 says, Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind, or literally for the wind? John Piper describes it like this. There are words with roots that go deep into our hearts and words that will be blown away by the wind. I have sat with women grieving deeply who speak about God and their situation in ways that seem utterly hopeless. You might even wonder how a Christian could even say those kinds of things, words that feel like they may need to be corrected, but that is not the time for correction or clarification about what is true or what the Bible really says. In moments of deep sorrow, there may be words spoken that are simply meant for the world. When the sun breaks through, when the morning comes, you will see that those words did not have roots. We need wisdom to discern the words with roots and the words for the wind. Number seven, a spring rather than a fish. When you come alongside someone in deep depression, think of a spoon rather than a shovel with what you say and with what you encourage them to do. There is only so much that can be taken in, especially when your depression is severe. So let me give you an example of when I needed to shift from a shovel to a spoon. A sister at our church who was deeply depressed wasn't losing her apartment. And where I live, there is this beautiful walkway that we've walked before, and I knew that she enjoyed it. So I asked her if she would come for a walk. I offered to pick her up or she could drive over. It's just three minutes away. And she said no. I asked again about a week later. 
And she said, no, again. And then I realized, Spoonsful, she isn't leaving her apartment right now unless absolutely necessary. She's not confused what I'm asking her to do. So then I asked her, can I, can I meet you at your apartment and, and maybe we could just step outside. We can sit or walk for as short or as long as we want. She needed a spoonful. She didn't need a shovel. Another example is when you want to offer someone encouragement, rather than sending a link to a sermon or recommending a book to read, it may be best to just call and ask if she has a couple minutes to talk. Ask her to grab her Bible, look at Wednesday, a promise in Scripture that you read together over the phone. Then pray for her and leave it there. It's spoonful. Number eight, you do the next thing. Give practical encouragement when life is overwhelming, when it's hard, to even know where to turn and what to do. It, at times, it is paralyzing. There is, things are just overwhelming, and they don't know even how or what to do next. So encourage a sister to do the next thing. Encourage a brother to do the next thing. You might even help, need to help her identify what that next thing is. Maybe the next thing is simply getting a load of laundry done. Do the next thing. That's more manageable. That's something that I can do. I can, I can take a shower if I can do the next thing. Number nine, avoid saying this. Scrap this from your counsel. Scrap these two words. At least. At least. When you're speaking to someone who has gone through something hard, it is not helpful to say those two words, at least. So let me give you an example. A friend's father passes away and he is sharing his grief with you. And you're searching for words of encouragement to say you want to say something encouraging. So you say, at least you still have your mom. And that is true, right? But those, unhelp- those can be unhelpful words that minimize the grief. Scrap at least from your counsel. Number ten, where do we turn in Scripture for words of hope? Use the language of the Psalms. Poetry and metaphor. The Psalms are rich with words that speak to the hurting heart. Recently, I read the beginning of Psalm 22 to a friend who was deeply discouraged and just disappointed with God. And what she saw in God was his lack of care or concern for her. So we turn to Psalm 22, which says this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. And she said, after we read that, I do feel that God has forsaken me. And then we talked about Jesus speaking those words from the cross. What she was feeling, being forsaken by God, wasn't true, but it is how she felt. And then we talked about what Jesus endured on the cross so that she would never be forsaken by God. Use the poetry of the Psalms and point them to Christ. Another place I often go is to the narratives. Narratives can connect in ways that a book like Romans or Ephesians might not during times of deep discouragement. So just some examples to consider. And there's, there's many, there are many examples. 
the story of Elijah in 1 Kings 18 and 19, when he was despairing of life and how the Lord cared for his needs. Or consider Abraham and Sarah in Genesis, the years of waiting for God to fulfill his promise that he will not fail. Oh, how long they wait. Or Joseph, starting in Genesis 37, the details of this story are hopeful and helpful. I often will take women, the women I counsel, into the details of this story. Joseph being thrown into the well, betrayed by his own brothers, sold into slavery, the injustice of what happened with Potiphar's wife, the time in prison when he had done nothing to deserve that. So many women I've counseled have been through such hard things in their lives, and it looks to them like God is against them, just like it looks like God is against Joseph. But he wasn't. Joseph, in speaking to his brother, brothers later in life, says, For you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The narrative points to God's faithfulness and to his sovereign will. Another place to go is to the Gospels. Remember the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead in John 11. If you read that whole story, how Mary and Martha were waiting for Jesus to come heal their brother, but in love, Jesus waited for Lazarus to die. We see Jesus weeping with Mary and revealing himself as the resurrection and the life. The love of Jesus, though, seems so confusing. Why would he wait for Lazarus to die from Mary and Martha's perspective? What a story to take a brother or sister into who is struggling to understand the love of our God. Number 11, look for God's goodness and mercy in their lives. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Look for God's grace. The depressed heart will need to see the fingerprints of God's grace in his life. He may be so focused on what he sees as just rubble in his life, and it is all discouraging. We need to speak with wisdom and care, but we do need to speak. So here's an example of something that I've said with women in counseling as I hear their stories. You were sharing some of the hard, painful things that you were going through. And there was something that stood out to me. Would you mind if I shared it? There's something that you shared where I, I see God's grace here and God's care for you, and, and I'm not sure you're seeing it. Can I share that with you? As they're telling you their story, listen for God's grace. You will hear it. And it may be so small, but take them there. It's going to help them it and hear what they're saying in a different way. Look for God's goodness in their lives. Number 12, encourage, structure, and help as it is to come. Ask the practical questions. Is she sleeping? Is she eating regularly? Is she exercising? Start slow, but structure can bring some immediate relief. I was counseling a mom with five kids with postpartum depression. Life was, as you can imagine, overwhelming for her. 
her only few moments a day for rest were when she went to the bathroom. And I asked her, what is one thing you want to accomplish tomorrow just to help her set a manageable goal for the day? And she said, I, she said to me, I, I just want to be able to take a shower. That's doable. Right? That's doable. So then I started looking for help. What can the church do? What is her husband able to do so that she can take that shower tomorrow? Women in the church move towards her, see her needs and step in to care for her, encourage, structure, and then look for ways that the church can help. Number 13, don't underestimate what others have overcome in your life. And don't process someone else's struggle with depression through the lens of your own experience. When we judge others through the lens of our own experience, we can miss so much. You don't know what it took for the man sitting next to you in church just to get to that spot that morning. We have no idea what took place in his heart. It might not have required much faith for me to drive to church that day, but for him, it was a fight of faith every step of the way. If only we could see God's grace at work and his God-glorifying fight of faith to bring him there as he sits in the, in the chair, still discouraged, but he's there. Don't underestimate what others have overcome or process their struggle through your experience. Fourteen, wise care is willing to talk about things. We tend to be okay if the pastor talks about it, if our Bible study leader talks about it. But when I've been getting together regularly with a friend who is depressed and she shares with me this theme of anger towards her parents, towards her husband, and it even seems towards God, I've tried to listen along to her story and to care for her in some practical ways. I've opened the word to share the love of God in ways that will hopefully point her to Christ. But am I willing to go there? Am I willing to talk about her heart and the sin of anger to point her to Christ? We need to be careful. Depressive feelings aren't sin. But Hebrews 13, 3.13 says, Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort, teach. Admonish, comfort every day. Why? Because the deceitfulness of sin is an ardent part in our hearts. We need one another to speak the truth in love, which means we need to be able to talk about sin. But we must be wise and we must be gentle in our care. Compassion before correction. And number 15. Read the Word of God yourself. To see, to treasure, and trust God in your own life. Read the Bible. Look for God's sovereignty, for His goodness and His wisdom. The heart of the depressed has so many questions about God. And at least one of those attributes, His sovereignty, His goodness, and His wisdom. The heart depression may ask, is he really in control? Is he really was good and wise? How could this happen? 
if we want to come alongside others with wisdom, compassion, and prayer, let's continue to grow in our understanding of God and His ways through His Word. We don't want to bring our so-called wisdom. We want to bring God's wisdom to them. How can we describe the beauty of God to a friend who cannot see Him through the dark clouds of depression if we haven't seen that beauty in our in the Word ourselves? Let's study the Word to see Him, to treasure Him, and to trust Him. And then I'm going to end here. If I could share one promise that the depressed heart needs to hear over and over again, a promise that we all need to hear and hold on to, it is this, Philippians 4.5, the Lord is near. Seek this promise. Help them to take hold of this promise. Depression always isolates, but God is always near. And don't forget to pray. Pray for them. Pray with them. Pray for the God of all comfort to be their comfort. Pray for increased faith. Pray for the light of the gospel to break through the darkness of depression. Pray for the Lord to reveal His sovereignty and goodness and wisdom and to give them eyes of faith to see Him and to cast anchor into the darkness. May we all be men and women who move towards one another in humility, speaking the truth in love, and helping one another to look up to see our God in Christ, to treasure Him, to put our trust in Him, and to remember that our hope in depression or our hope in any suffering is found in Jesus who died on the cross for our sins against the God. Brothers and sisters, we have so much hope. And it is an eternal hope. It is not just in this life. And that is so encouraging to hear. We wait for Jesus to come. And He is coming. And we will be with Him for eternity. And now we endure the suffering. And for some, that suffering is and we want to help one another well. We want to come alongside one another to run the race together. We all struggle. If it's not depression, fill in the blank. We all struggle. And we all have hope in Christ. It is a person. And that is life-changing and hope-giving. Father, thank you. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord Jesus, you are our hope. You are our living hope. Because you rose from the grave. You conquered sin. You bore our shame on the cross. Pray, Father, that your words spoken, words from your scriptures, would remain in the heart, in the hands. Your work 